You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. So trust is one of the most important commodities here on this planet. It's something that can be found in every single human interaction. And if it's not there, it can definitely hinder what you're doing. And unfortunately, most of us have some issues with trust in some part of our life, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's giving trust or receiving trust. Now, for me, my trust issues started in my early years. In my formative years, I was wounded. And for whatever reason, I could never measure up to the people that were around me. Now, I don't want to go like too deep into it, and I don't want to dishonor anybody that was around me in my life at that point, but as I look back on it now, I'm realizing just how deep those wounds go. The long and the short of it was through that, I developed a distorted view of myself that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't deserve any of the things, any of the good things that came my way, any of the ways that even God would bless me. I felt like I was undeserving of them completely. Now, when you're in a position like that, uh, you can either just totally buy into that view, right? And lean into that distorted view and get totally crushed by it and accept it. Or you can do what I did. You can take all those slights, all those ways that you were made to feel less than, and hold on to them and use them as fuel and have those things power you through it. The need to just hold on to these things and turn around and tell somebody one day, ha, look at what I did. You thought I couldn't do it. You didn't believe in me, but here I am, sucker. <laughs> because I had this distorted view, I made it a point to prove myself regularly. I, I felt like the world thought very little of me, so I had to make sure that I let the world know how good I was. Now, once I got my first taste of working in the real world, uh, I started to realize that people really like the dude that does all the work. You know what I mean? Like, I was going above and beyond. I was working so hard. My coworkers loved me because they didn't have to do that much work, right? My boss loved me because they're like, that's the guy, right? What boss doesn't want someone working for them that is always just working their tail off? And it was through that, I started getting affirmation, started getting pats on the back from bosses, had people around me go, hey, man, it's great to work with you, really like you, great dude, awesome. And through that, it was like a drug. I was addicted to it. I just needed to get that affirmation. I needed to accomplish things. I needed to achieve. I became a super overachiever. And not only that, it was through that that I found my way to success. I found my way to that thing that everybody said I wasn't going to have someday. And it was through my own strength that I was trying to erase the pain that I felt when I was young. So when uh, I got my first internship in television, I found a profession that rewarded people that worked hard. That's what it was all about. The harder you work, the better stuff you got. And that distorted view of myself had actually morphed itself into an incredible work ethic. 
It turned into something that took me to a job immediately out of college, which never happens in TV. And then it brought me back to San Antonio to be in one of the top 35 markets in the country at the age of 23. I basically skipped like three steps in my career path because they knew how hard I would work and they had no problem bringing me back. Not only that, I was succeeding on a big stage in my hometown. All those fools who laughed at me, look at me now. How about that? I was enjoying it. Through the distorted view of myself, I learned that I really didn't need anyone else around me to do anything. I could just rely on myself. I could rely on my work ethic to get me whatever I wanted. I no longer needed to trust anyone to do anything for me. Now, what's crazy is that I had so many good things happen to me because of this distorted view of myself. It's something that stuck with me and something that even fueled me after leaving TV and starting to work here at the church. Because to me, I never thought of it as a bad thing. But what I didn't realize until very recently was that even though I was using this distorted view of myself to get ahead, to help take care of my family, to help do good things here at the church for God, I was still allowing myself to be defined by what I thought the world said about me and not what God created me to be, not what God thinks of me. I was more worried about the world. That's what was telling me who I was and who I should be. And we see something similar to that in the life of the Old Testament character, Gideon. You see, during Gideon's time, uh, Israel had slowly decided to stop following God and do things on their own. So God allowed them to move on, do their own thing, and through that, they made a lot of really poor decisions. Go figure, right? And they ended up being occupied, taken over uh, by the Midianites. And the Midianites were bad dudes. They weren't there all the time, but they were there when it counted, at harvest time. So the Israelites would be harvesting all their crops and taking care of all their livestock, and the Midianites would show up and be like, all right, hand it all over. So Israel was on the verge of starvation. This had been going on for seven years. They'd been delivered into the Midianites' hands. And it was at that point that Gideon enters into the picture. So today, I'll actually be teaching from the same story of Gideon. So if you're someone who has a Bible with you or you have your app, and you want to follow along just on your own, uh, you can go ahead and do that. We'll also put up all the scripture on the screen, but we're staying in the same story, so you won't have to jump around or anything like that. Uh, So we'll start in Judges 6, and in Judges 6, 11, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have, 
and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So here's Gideon. He has fully bought into this distorted view of the world. He feels like God isn't there with Israel. I mean, there's an angel of God talking to him, and the first thing he says is, uh, I don't know, man. Is God really here with us? I mean, check this out. There's a bunch of Midianites here. There's no way God can be with us, which is a distorted view of who God is. God can be anywhere at any time and anything. He's God. And then, after God himself says, hey, you're a mighty warrior. You're going to rescue Israel. Gideon's, even then, he can't believe God himself telling him something. He believes so much in the distorted view of himself that he won't believe what God himself standing in front of him is saying to him. That's how messed up his view is of himself. So this distorted view was so deeply rooted. But Gideon did show some wisdom. Here in the next part of the story, he actually wants to make sure that it is God, in fact, that he's speaking with. So in Judges 6.17, it says, Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. So Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of a staff in his hand. And fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign God, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. So for me, the first thing that kind of jumps out at me when I'm reading through this and I'm checking it out is how incredibly patient this angel is with Gideon, right? I mean, he wasn't like, hey, hey, I'm going to go and, and pick up something real quick and I'm going to bring it right back to you. No, he went home and he cooked a whole goat and then he baked like a loaf of bread. This is like hours and hours and hours. It's not me saying, hey, guys, wait here. I'm going to go get a poor boy plus real quick and then I'll be right back. Like that'd be like 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, the poor boy would be gone because I would have eaten it on the way back, but I'd be right back. What Gideon did is he's like, hey, can you wait like six to eight hours? Because uh, I got you know, to make some bread. I got to bake some bread, whatever, and, and do all these things. And there the angel sat and waited for him, just being super graceful with Gideon. But Gideon got the word. He got the confirmation that he needed. So he now knows, hey, I got to go and save Israel. God's going to help me save Israel. This is awesome. This is cool. Let's do this. 
But before he can do that, God has something for him to take care of, some housekeeping to take care of. So let's go back into Judges 6, 25 through 27. There it says, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down uh, the Asherah pole standing behind it. So just real quick, uh, Baal is a god that was commonly worshipped uh, by people that weren't uh, the Israelites during that time. So it's like the false idols of different people. That's who they were uh, going ahead and worshiping. And his father had built this altar there on their property. Uh, so tear down uh, that altar. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using fuel uh, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So this is super fascinating to me. Uh, before Gideon is going out into the world uh, to do what God wants him to do, before Gideon can go and save the nation, he's got to stop and pull down the altar of his father. You see, it was his father's responsibility to take care of his family. It was his father's responsibility to make sure that they knew the ways of the God of their ancestors, the one that brought them out of Egypt, right? But it was the father who built this idol, who built this thing. And it was their father that gave them the distorted view of God. Because what he was saying is, yeah, God is great. This is really good. But just in case he doesn't work out so well, Here's Baal. Let's worship him too. Which is the exact opposite of, God wants, of what God wants us to do. He says, follow me. I'm the only thing you're going to need. Forget all that other stuff. So he sends Gideon to purify the land, to cut down the altar, to get rid of that distorted view of God. And I think the same thing happens with each one of us when we'd start talking about trust and things in our lives. For me, I didn't decide one day, I didn't wake up as a kid and go, you know what? I'm not good enough for this world. No, that was something that was given to me. That was something that was built for me. And for some of us, it was our fathers that did that, right? It was our mothers that gave us this idol and built this up in front of us. Grandparents. It was all the people that were supposed to protect us from these things. They're the ones that went and put it in our lives. They're the ones that created the distorted view for us. So here right now, uh, what I want to do is, is kind of what God asked Gideon to do, which is uh, tear down the idols that were built up for him. Uh, so that, that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to tear down these idols, to break these distorted views and give us the right view of him and give us the right view of ourselves. Uh, so I'm just going to ask that you all uh, bow your heads in prayer as we uh, kind of start working through this. And right now I want, you to, I want you to pray that God would give you a word or a picture or a memory of when that idol was built in your life, when that distorted view was given to you.
whether it's the distorted view of God or whether it's the distorted view of yourself. So I just want to give you a minute to kind of go ahead and rest in the silence and see what God has to give to you. Just go ahead and keep on praying. For some of us, we were told or we were made to feel that we weren't good enough or that we were worthless. Lord, destroy that idol that has been built for us. For some of us, we weren't told anything at all. We would have loved to have been told anything, but we went our lives being ignored. Lord, Destroy that idol that was built for us. For some of us, we felt nothing but rejection for our entire lives. For some of us, we were rejected in the womb. Lord, destroy that idol that was built for us. For some of us, just like me, we have built into our heads that the only thing we need in this world is ourselves. Lord, destroy that idol that was built for us. For some of us, we were taught that God wasn't going to be enough for us, or that he wasn't real, or that if he was real, he was a hypocrite. Lord, destroy that idol that was built for us. God, help us remember that we should be motivated by following you. Not by running away from the things that we don't want to be. Thanks for loving us enough to come into this room to heal us. We love you. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen. All right. So we've got some housekeeping out of the way. Now we can see what Gideon did and how it worked. So at this point, Gideon has gone and gotten all the men of Israel. They're all there. They're all ready to battle. 32,000 soldiers is what he had. That's a lot. It feels like a lot. But on the other side, the Midianites, well, they had 135,000. That's pretty long odds there. And that's pretty interesting to see what God ends up doing. What he ends up saying Gideon needs to do. Let's take a look back at the scripture. In Judges 7-2, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Now, I can only imagine what's going through Gideon's head as he's talking to God, right? What do you mean I have too many warriors? They already have like four times more warriors than I do. 
There's no way that we would accept that. But God knew their hearts. And he knew that if they took their full resources in, they wouldn't glorify God. The less men that went into the battle, the less credit the Israelites could take for themselves. It's the same thing with us. The more we trust in our resources, the more that we rely on our own strength and not God's strength, the less glory God will get in our lives. And that's still where I sit sometimes, guys. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm so used to relying on what I can do. I'm so used to just, when things get tough, putting my head down and grinding and working harder that I forget to go to God. Now, it's not like a malicious thing where I don't believe that God can't do it in my life. That's not it at all. I just forget. I just, I'm so used and I'm so trained that every time I sit down and I work hard and I put my head down, something good happens. So that's what I've learned to do. And that's why our big idea for today is leave your warriors at home and trust in the Lord. Leave your warriors at home and trust in the Lord. So let's jump back into Judges to see how this plays out. God says, Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. This test makes a lot of sense. God didn't want people there that didn't want to fight, that were afraid to fight. Gideon goes up there and is like, hey man, if you're afraid, you can go ahead and go. And a bunch of dudes were like, cool, I am out. I want nothing to do with this. I don't want to fight. I don't want to mess with these Midianites. It's already bad enough. Thank you for removing me from this. I'm out. Good luck, guys. So 22,000 men left. Surely that would be enough for God, right? That would be enough for God to get his full glory. Well, let's look back at the scripture. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told them, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. So I know some of you guys out there, especially some of you fellas, you're thinking, 300 soldiers fighting against a huge army. I've seen this one before. Spartans! This is not that story. As far as I know, like Gideon doesn't kick a dude into like an unending pit uh, there on his land that I know of. Uh, it, maybe it's there and I just missed it. But anyways, in this story of Gideon, it's interesting to see what the final cut is, right? It's crazy to see what that final 
test is. I mean, just think about who, do you, who would you want on your team? Who would you want fighting next to you? Do you want the guy that takes a knee and drinks from the water just like this? Or do you want the dude that gets down on his knees and puts his head and face all the way into the water and takes a drink like that? I mean, just, just let's think about this for a second. What is the, the ground like around water sources normally? Yeah, it's muddy, it's nasty, and here these dudes are on their knees, on their chests, sticking their faces in, so when they get out and it's time to go and they reach for their swords, well, there might be mud on it, there might be some stuff still all over their hands, their face is probably still dripping wet, they don't know where they are, they don't know what's going on, they're reaching for their sword, it's falling out. I don't want that dude with me. Not only that, what happens when they're facing in the water and the Midianites show up over the hill. How much good are those guys going to be? Not a lot. Instead, the guy I want in battle with me is a dude taking a knee, reaching into the water, and he's able to see where he is. He knows what's coming. He knows where they need to go. He totally gets it. And what's interesting to see is that if it were up to Gideon, he would have gone into battle with the Midianites with 22,000 cowards. And then he would have gone into battle with the Midianites with 9,700 men who were totally willing to fight, but were fools, didn't pay attention to where they were or what they were doing. Instead, God knew exactly who needed to go into battle with them? The guys that were not only willing to fight, but the guys that were willing to fight the right way, to look around, to be observant. Those were the men. Leave your warriors at home and trust in the Lord. He knows exactly what he's doing. And think about it. In what ways has God blessed you? In what ways has he honed in on what your strength is? Think about those special skills, those different abilities that you've been given, and lean into that. Lean into those 300 warriors, that little piece of awesomeness that God has given you, and watch the incredible things that God will do through that little piece of you. Don't worry about your own strength. Don't worry about how far you can go on your own, lean on God. Leave your warriors at home and trust in the Lord. So let's go back to Judges. God has chosen the 300 men. And that night, Gideon is a little bit worried, a little bit scared. So let's see what God does. That night, the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you over to them. But if you are afraid, I've given you victory over them, excuse me. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon, who's afraid and totally looking at the world through this distorted view right now, once again, he took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. 
Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream the man had. So the man says, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian and all its allies. Now, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. So there was Gideon. Remember that idol, that distorted view of himself that had been built and given to him? Well, there he was, rebuilding it, putting it back together. But God, in his infinite grace and his infinite love, steps in and says, Hey, Gideon, if you're afraid, which God knew he was afraid, Hey, if you're afraid, let me encourage you. Let me show you what I'm going to do. What God was really saying in that moment is he was whispering to Gideon, hey, I got this. Don't worry about it. And that's the same for us, guys. There's going to come a time where those idols start getting rebuilt, where that distorted view keeps on coming back and we're hearing, we're hearing the whispers in our own heads, hey, you're not going to do it. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. I know God called you to do that, but you're going to mess it up somehow. And it's in those times that you shouldn't lean down, put your head down, and start grinding and start pushing and relying on your own strength. No, you leave your warriors at home at that point. Trust in God. Listen to him. So back to Gideon. He ran back to the Israelite camp, all fired up, and he broke his 300 men into three groups. And God inspired a plan of attack for them. And we see that plan in Judges 7.19. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held their blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And that's how 300 warriors defeated 135,000. I guarantee you, there was not a single one of those 300 that walked away from that battle going, ha, we were pretty awesome there, huh? We destroyed those Midianites. What's up, man? There was no way one of those 300 men walked away from that battle with a distorted view of who God was. 
There is no way that those 300 men walked away from that battle with a distorted view of how God was going to work through them in their life. And it's all because they left their warriors at home, literally, and trusted in God. So when you say, man, I got to work every day. I always got to be working. Because if I leave the office, if I'm out of the office, work doesn't get done. Or I got so much work, I can't do it. I can't spend time with the Lord. I can't take a Sabbath. I can't spend time with my family this week because I got to work. Leave your warriors at home. Trust that God will take care of it in his own way. Or you'll say, man, this tithing stuff, it's hard, dude. I need that first 10%. I can't get away without that first 10%. Leave your warriors at home. Trust that God will take care of it. Or when you're parenting your children, you're one of those parents that, like, the child can't leave your sight or even leave, like, at arm's length. Because you know if you step away, you know if you leave them alone with somebody else, that something bad's going to happen to them as soon as you walk out the door. Leave your warriors at home. Your strength isn't enough. Trust in the Lord. Trust that the Lord's going to take care of all these things for you. God has made it a point throughout all of history, throughout the entire Bible, to use something weak to embarrass and defeat the strong. He uses the forgotten people to outwit the wise. Because in every single one of these situations, God is glorified. When we are weak, he is strong. When we don't rely on our strength, we see the amazing things God can do. We see the amazing plan that God has for us. I don't want the 32,000. I don't want that. Give me the 300. Give me the 300 right guys. That's what I want. That's what I want to chase after in my life. And there's no better example of this than Jesus. You see, when God sent his son down, he learned what he had to do. Live a blameless life. Be perfect. Be the perfect sacrificial lamb for all the sins of the world. That's what he had to do. And it wasn't even by his own plan. It wasn't his own design. Because we see in Gethsemane when Jesus is on his knees and he's praying so hard that he's sweating blood. He says, if it's in your will, take this from me. Because he knew how bad it was going to be. But instead he trusted in the Father. Because we know Jesus had incredible power, right? We saw him heal people and perform miracles. We saw him change the laws of physics by walking on water. So surely, when he was up on that cross, he could have taken himself down on his own, through his own power. He could have taken himself down, and because he was, you know, 
God in human form, he probably could have like shot lasers out of his eyes and destroyed the entire Roman army and gone and ruled Rome like his disciples wanted him to do. But what did he do? He didn't win through strength. It wasn't through his own power. He left his warriors at home and he trusted in the Lord, his father, that his plan, that his way was going to be the right way to do things. And it was through that act, through that act of trust in the father, through that act of love for each and every one of us, that we all now have the opportunity to enjoy an eternity in heaven, just by simply believing that he did that. It's that easy. Nothing needs to get added. There's no other ways. It's through simply believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, you're in, just like that. There's no other religious hoops to jump through. So with that being said, let's just go ahead and bow our heads and pray. So for some of us here in the room, we walked in here, with a distorted view of the world and a distorted view of God. And in that time here today, something's happened to you. And you feel like you need to change the view of God and follow him. You've never really had a relationship with Christ. And right now is your opportunity to go ahead and start that. So if you're that person, if you're one of those people, I want you to go ahead and pray something like this with me. Lord, I'm not fully sure who you are or how you really work, but there is something in me that can't deny you anymore. I want to see you in my life in the clearest way possible. So right here, right now, I want you to know that I believed that you died on the cross for my sins. And the best way I know how, I want to follow you. Thank you for your patience with me. So just continue keeping your heads bowed. For other of us in the room, others of us in the room, you knew God before you walked in, or maybe you just prayed to receive Christ for the first time in your life. For those of you, I want you to pray something like this. Lord, thank you for having so much faith in me for my entire life. Help me tear down the idols of the ones that came before you left in my life. Tear down my distorted view of myself and my distorted view of you that was given to me. Thank you for everything that you've done, Lord. Help me do more with less. I love you so much. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.